This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dean Amal Andraus. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Shritama from the AD program. And I'm Yuling from the MR program. We're back with another episode of GSAP Conversations. This week, we have a dialogue between architect Elena Jamil and MR student Lucy Navarro. Working within the context of Southeast Asia, Elena Jamil's work has been founded on research into specific social and climatic imperatives of each project brief within a broader cultural framework. Jamil shares with us her vision on the potential of vernacular architecture and sustainable building materials, such as bamboo and timber, in Kuala Lumpur. She talks about how her firm's work designing smaller-scale pavilions has provided opportunities for structural and material experimentation. She also discusses her experience of running a practice as a female architect. Thanks for listening. I'm Lucy Navarro, a third-year architecture student. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, you've designed several pavilions over the years. How do you see the role of pavilions in your practice? Um, the pavilions form uh, an opportunity to experiment and to explore different techniques and also local materiality. If you notice, most of the pavilions that we've done actually use local natural material. And it allows us to explore kind of themes that we are interested in, as well as um, techniques um, seen in vernacular architecture, techniques that are also quite modern and contemporary. So they allow us to explore things which I think larger buildings rarely presents itself. Um, I wonder, do you design for a different type of interpretation once these pavilions travel? For example, the Maranti Pavilion, which traveled to Florida in 2017. The Maranti Pavilion is a modular structure, so it can actually be taken apart and rearranged in different ways. So when it was in Orlando, it was used as the way that was designed. It was a simple rectangular enclosure. But in the following year, it was used again for the AIA New York. And I think our, my client, the Malaysian Timber Council, decided on a different configuration. They want something that's more open. So they've rearranged the modules in a different way, so, which is great in that sense. And I know that you were talking about um, these pavilions aid in your research, but is it also the hands-on construction that plays into your work? Yes, definitely. I mean, because they're quite small and they don't take very long to build, we are able to be fully involved in the construction and, of course, the design as well. So in uh, two of the pavilions, at least, uh, we were working very closely with students and uh, my office uh, architects from my office actually were involved in the physical building of the pavilions. So it's it's great that you know we, we are really quite hands-on and we could really experience building it and really touching it and looking at it in a very much different way. It's different from designing it on the computer and actually building it. So we could actually look at it in a very different perspective, which again, in a larger building, which would be almost impossible. And do you think this, this hands-on interaction um, that you have with the pavilions and the students, yeah. how does that aid the growth um, of architecture students? In the Shadow Garden Pavilion, uh, we didn't want them to 
for example, just built it exactly as we have designed it. So we asked them to explore um, a traditional jointing method where we didn't use um, fasteners, screws, or nuts and bolts. It's all kind of mortise and tenons, a lot of notches. And that's interesting for me because they're not just helping us build it. They are actually learning a new technique, mm. uh, which is very rare in modern construction. So I think that makes them think about not just designing, but actually thinking of techniques or putting things together, which sometimes in you know at university projects they might not have an opportunity to think about. Do you think that was inherent? Because I, I know that your your father was in construction, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you were I'm assuming you were constantly around construction sites mm. and around materials. Mm. So was this this love of um, building always there? Um, when I was growing up, I actually wanted to be a doctor, uh -huh. um, but then I think being an Asian family, you know, my father said architecture would be good for you, and he's not wrong. I love architecture, but I was always at building sites with him, and we had building materials all over the house. It was kept as storage in the house. Um, and then um, I went to study in the UK. I actually did a construction course which is a very vocational course before I started the architectural degree. So in that course, I was actually learning how to mix cement and do tests on concrete cubes and things like that. So it was a very hands-on experience. And I thought that was you know, a very, very interesting start to, as an introduction to architecture. Mm -hmm. So I suppose being hands-on has always been in me, I suppose. Um, and I love to be very much part of the construction process. So my practice is quite small and we don't do really large projects, although I would love to have the opportunity to do more larger projects. But then it allows me to be quite involved in every project from start to finish. Um, and speaking about larger projects, you recently proposed the Bamboo Terrence, Terrence Homes, mm, right? Yeah. Uh, which is mass contemporary housing built predominantly from harvested bamboo. Yeah. Um, do you find yourself having to justify the material to clients and do you often face opposition to its use? Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, I think for almost every project, when we feel that uh, there will be a good opportunity to use natural, sustainable material. We will try to sell the idea to the client. Um, so, at almost it, sorry, in almost every project, we have a bamboo proposal. But I think ninety percent of the time, it's you know shoot down, and they say no, no, we're not having this, mainly because there's fear about the durability and that it's a material that has a. Uh, is related to this idea that it's a poor man's material. It's related to this idea of a bamboo hut in the jungle. Mm. Um, yes, we do. It is very difficult to convince clients to design using bamboo. And in my talk later, I'll probably s uh, talk about um, how bamboo is not a standard building material. And that's the reason why it's not something that you could just specify and pick up from the builder's yard or the shop. It's something completely quite special. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the main reason why there is this reluctance in developers and now my clients in using this material. So on one side, you have advanced material research mm -hmm. 
Um, and on the other, you have a movement to go back to natural materials, like we were speaking about bamboo. Mm -hmm. um, so what are your thoughts on these two opposing architectural trends that are beginning to develop? It would be interesting to use natural material in really contemporary and modern looking building. I'm not averse to building like we did in the past, although we do look at the past as something that has a lot of information that could inspire us, that could help us understand how to build in the future. But it would be great if we could build modern, exciting, dynamic buildings using more sustainable materials, and that's just it. I think there is lack of choices at the moment. You either use concrete, steel, and glass, but there are all these other interesting things that you could use in modern architecture. You completed the Bamboo Playhouse project in 2015, mm. and you said the bamboo can be an everyday construction material, which mm. we just spoke about. Mm. Um, so what are your thoughts regarding the viability of bamboo in urban and suburban contexts? Um, as far as, could you see bamboo in New York City in, mm. in this type of context? Um, I think not in my lifetime, because there's a lot of <laughs> resistance. Uh, um, I mean, we are still... We still love, you know, glass towers and skyscrapers and steel. Um, but I think there is a global movement now, especially with the climate crisis for using timber, for example. You're seeing timber skyscrapers being proposed by architects in different countries. And I think bamboo is the next thing that we need to look at as a very, very viable, sustainable material. Um, I think the interest and the concern about this global climate crisis has started more of a debate whether we should build in a different way. Does that influence the way you design consciously? It does. I mean, we are not only concerned with materiality, of course, we are also concerned with designing that really responds to the local climate and the local conditions. Um, if you ask me if bamboo is the answer to everything, I would probably say no, because there are opportunities that would be great for bamboo, but not necessarily for another building where perhaps it makes more sense to build something out of steel or concrete because of you know, the nature of the building. And although bamboo has historically been used in Malaysian architecture, uh, the material has fallen out of use. Mm. What, what motivated you to bring back the construction? Um, I've never learned about bamboo at university. Um, we started thinking about bamboo during when I first started my practice, uh, where we did a lot of competitions. So we know that bamboo is sustainable because it grows so quickly compared to timber. Um, but I think it was competitions that we entered that really allow us to think uh, beyond the, the kind of uh, standard materials and we we thought okay we'll try this this building with this uh, competition entry with bamboo because imagine the opportunity was if it was really built using bamboo so you think that it was the motivation to one win the competition and two <laughs> look at a different yeah way perhaps to... <laughs> at the time you know we we didn't have much work at the time so we like we did so many competitions at the start of the practice so you know we do 50, 100, we might win one. Wow. <laughs> so there is this um, drive, I suppose. I mean, we live in a very hot and humid climate, this drive to make us, our buildings as sustainable as possible. And one of the things is to look at sustainable materials. And um, when I was doing research for this uh, interview, mm -hmm. I came across one of the quotes um, 
that I found in this archive and it said, we need to treat materials that are more difficult to get with more respect, <laughs> which I thought was really interesting. No. And did how, I say that? <laughs> <laughs> you did. Um, how can this mindset change how architects practice in other places around the world? I mean, for example, like timber. Timber is a very precious commodity and it should be treated with respect, in my opinion, because it's it takes so long to grow and it's it's kind of Earth's gift to us. Um, and also to make sure that we don't just take away this timber from the Earth, but not replacing it as well. So I think that's what I meant with treating things like this with respect, that you don't just create massive deforestation uh, just because you'd like to use that material. So I think I was referring to timber in that sense, yeah. Um, and although your practice is deeply rooted in place, do you have aspirations to build in other locations around the world and share your ideas? Yes, yes, of course. I mean, we do competitions all over the world. Um, we always start by looking at the climate, at the local conditions. We also look at the vernacular typology, what's been done in the past. Um, for every different locations that we've done, it's just that we've never won anything outside Malaysia, but we did win one in the Philippines where the geography and the climate is quite similar to Malaysia. In fact, the vernacular uh, architecture is actually quite similar as well. They have timber and bamboo houses in the past. Do you, so as your firm continues to grow, do you think that you will be able to maintain the rigor and... Yeah, I thought of that. I mean, <laughs> if I were to be asked to do a skyscraper, I mean, how would I design that skyscraper? That's right. another question that's always playing in my head. Um, but there was a skyscraper that was built in Kuala Lumpur by Jean Nouvel recently. And it's a simple um, kind of thin building with plants all over it. And I thought that's a, such a beautiful solution to building in the tropics uh, at such high density. So I think I will try. <laughs> Hopefully someone will ask me in the, in the future. So. so as Malaysia continues to grow and they look to taller buildings and glass and steel, what do you think your role is? I think we are quite obsessed with uh, being seen as a modern city, as a modern Asian city. We're quite um, driven in creating the tallest building. We have the tallest twin towers by Caesar Pelli in Malaysia. So I suppose my role is to bring things back down to earth a little bit. Um, I like to think that I emphasize on things that are at, at ground level. I think uh, what happens at ground level is so important and that's what's important to most people rather than the skyline of Kuala Lumpur and also about uh, responding to the climate because most of these skyscrapers are just glass and when the weather is so hot you know the you know you think that you know there must be another way of building things so i don't know whether i inspire people but i feel very lucky to be invited here yeah. you, you inspire people <laughs> so yes I, I don't know whether i mean whether my work has any impact or not um, but yeah well with every project we do try to 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 think about things that are important i was just wondering because it's such a male dominated field architecture and mm. you're 
you're a woman. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the, all the images that I was looking through, it was women. So I was wondering, do you have an all-woman practice or close to it? And mm. what what is your experience um, like practicing? Practicing. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, we tend to have more women in the office, although we have uh, male architects as well working in, in the office. Um, I don't think that's a conscious decision uh, that you know I want to have an all-women team. Not at all. I think we are very diverse in the kind of people that we get in uh, working with us. It's just how good you are, and I like you know I like you, and you know we should work together. It's as simple as that. I've been asked if there are challenges uh, working as an architect or female architect. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, people like to say that architecture is a men's club where you get jobs through your how well you know people who you golf with and things like that. But from the beginning of my practice, we uh, invest in publishing our work ourselves. I mean, we invest in good photography. We put we put up a good website, and we. That, I think that's how we get most of our work, is through our website and through social media. So we don't. I'm happiest when I'm in the office, actually doing the project rather than going out looking for work. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel that I am discriminated because I am a woman, because I perhaps because I work in a slightly different way than most other architectural firm. Um, I had a professor once tell me that he only hires women because they're harder workers. <laughs> so I was uh, like, most hmm. of the time, I don't think that's true. <laughs> yeah, there may be a correlation yeah. there. I mean, there are more female architects or female architecture students in schools yeah. anyway, yeah. isn't it? So um, th there is a tendency for more female applicants who apply to work for me. I'm not sure why than male applicants. I mean, I think it's rare when you get like a <clears throat> woman who's owning her space. Mm -hmm. Like you always, mm -hmm. as a female, you always look towards yeah. another female to yeah. kind of help guide you yeah. and inspire yeah. you. And I think yeah. that you are that figure yeah. um, for sure. Maybe. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here today. Thank you. <laughs> This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.